Good morning, guys. I uh, searched my closet for a puffy jacket and skinny jeans like Paul Artino wears. And uh, I figured if I would do that, I would look like the Michelin Man, and it really wouldn't go over well. So we're just not going to do that. Can I get an amen if you are glad that 2020 is over? There's a couple of people clapping, too, with it as well. You know, I read this, a columnist stated this, that 2020 started off like 1974, an impeachment crisis, quickly became 1918, a pandemic turned into 1929, an economic crash, and morphed into 1968, massive urban unrest. With everything so politicized, with an unending torrent of bad news, and with algorithms that confirm and amplify our worst fears, no wonder it's been a stressful year. Problem is, that quote was said like in August of last year. It didn't even talk about all the, social, all the schools closing and openings, mask mandates and coverings, disagreements, church openings and closing, vaccinations being worked on it, warp speed, fatigued people doing social distancing or not doing social distancing, unemployment and unemployment benefits running out, angry friends and neighbors, moral posturing by everyone, accusations of fill in the blank, you can do that, contested elections, transition teams, threats of vetoes, shortened or eliminated sports seasons, bombings, bombing in my beloved Nashville, the senatorial runoff in Georgia, a really weird Christmas and New Year's Eve. And finally, we all have that nagging question. Have I purchased an appropriate amount of toilet paper in the unfortunate event 2021 <laughs> is actually worse than 2020? Wrapping our minds around last year seems a bit daunting, uh, at least to me, but I think we actually need to do it. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I went into my brokerage, pick up a document. Upon entering it, I saw the receptionist, and she asked me that if uh, the next time I was in, if I could look through an old box that she had and tell her exactly what was in it. She knew that I liked history, that I loved old photography, so I gladly agreed. The next time that I was in the office, she put down in front of me this old box with even older things inside of it. Uh, when I saw the box, I immediately knew this was going to be good. And to be honest with you, a little bit of my inner nerd came out. Um, in our conversations I had with her, I already knew that this box had belonged to her grandfather uh, and it had been sitting in storage, tucked away for a long time. As I examined the contents, the first thing I noticed was an album, photo album entitled Photo Log USS Yorktown. I believe we have a picture of it. Um, I recognized the name of the ship. It was strategic to our winning World War II in the Pacific. Its history is legendary. Um, all you have to do is a Google search of the Battle of Midway to see the importance of it. And please don't Google it right now. Right. As I slowly picked up and started to turn through the pages of the albums, the faces of these young men who had served on the Yorktown became, they started to become real, came to life. From cover to cover, there were personal comments written in absolutely perfect penmanship about these men. And there was even a picture of Pearl Harbor 
before the infamous attack on December 7th, 1941. I was totally enthralled into this box now. This album I held in my hands was a photographic time capsule to a moment, a point in history, a time that is now long since past. As you can imagine, my mind started wondering what all had this man actually seen in his life. I went deeper into the box, and there was a small tube, and I, I fidgeted with it for a little bit, and finally opened it, and I was able to get my fingers inside and extract this tightly rolled piece of paper. It was actually a small map of the Pacific. The owner of the box had taken the painstaking time to list and trace every location that he had sailed to during World War II. There were so many historic events on this map. Then deeper still in the box, in the bottom of it was a small container, and you actually see it in the back, with the words, medals, written on it. I picked it up and opened it slowly, rather deliberately. I was holding in my hands the outward representation of someone's inner, inner courage and personal sacrifice. This is what I found on the inside. Good Conduct Medal, 1942. Good Conduct Clasp, Second Award, 1945. American Defense Service Medal with Fleet Clasp. Navy Unit Commendation Award, the USS Langley. American Area Campaign Medal. World War II Victory Medal. Philippines Defense Ribbon with one bronze star. Philippine Liberation Medal with two bronze stars. Asiatic Pacific Area Campaign Medal with two silver stars and one bronze star. This man was legit. He was a true American hero, four bronze stars and two silver stars. I would later learn that he had returned to the United States to live what appears to be a quiet life, one of benevolence. He was a contributor to our society. And it also seems that he never really talked about those things that he experienced during World War II, which was and actually is common for those who have seen the worst of our world's brokenness. But time has this unending march, and somehow, as the days pass, the box of his memories and awards filtered down to his granddaughter, who really didn't know exactly what she had or even what to do with it. I told her that she had something that was very precious and it needed to be preserved. His memories needed to be kept intact. I continued, at some point in the future, someone in your family will want to know about him, and this box will be valuable, invaluable. It's a family treasure. Paradoxically, just a few days before, it was just a box collecting dust with the importance of its contents waning, losing relevance, and on the brink of being forgotten. What a tragedy this would have been. So many things to be remembered and passed down. And thank you, Irvin Sikora, for your service. Similarly, church, we must not waste our 2020. If we are not careful, in the, if we are not careful with our experiences from this past year, in a rush for the new, in our desire to forget, in our need to hit the reset button, to start over, 
we could very well forfeit the lessons and experiences survived, battles fought, upheaval felt, friends lost, and wounds received. 2020 has been, if we are willing to look at it, our own family treasure. Inasmuch as it points us Godward and reveals his, hearts toward, his heart toward us and our need for him, then this past year, like no other, will become something to glean from, something to share with those we love, something to use in the years to come. So with that said, let's do just a bit more digging into the mine and find a little bit more gold from the year 2020 because we don't want to waste it. Let's pray. Father, we ask you that you give us ears to hear your word this morning. Make our hearts sensitive to the shaping and leading of your Holy Spirit and allow us to see with greater clarity how worthy you are of our worship. We ask this in the name of your blessed Son, Jesus. Amen. Please turn with me to Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the people with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase, God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. So I'd like to look at, I would like to look at three areas when we think of 2020. The first would be, what did God teach us about ourselves? The second one would be, what did God teach us about his plan? And the third, what did God teach us about worship? When looking at Psalm 67, the first thing we observe is a psalmist starts off and directs us immediately toward our need for and our dependence on the grace of God. Of all the things he could have said, his statement is a broad declaration to our dependence on God and our need for his loving care. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. So what has 2020 taught us about our need for God's grace in our lives? Now, if you are struggling to make a connection, let me give you a few examples of what I mean. If during 2020 you have wrestled with any of the following, you were and are in need of God's grace. If during 2020 you wrestled with ambiguity of this life while desperately craving certainty, you needed God's grace. If you found yourself soaking in despair, unable to find your misplaced joy, you needed God's grace. If you were tempted to let fear dominate your thoughts and emotions, you needed God's grace. If you battled anger when you were inconvenienced, you needed God's grace. If you struggled to maintain relationship when contrary opinions emerged and you were disagreed with, you needed God's grace. If you found yourself not able to rest in God's sovereignty, you needed God's grace. If in 2020, your default flinch 
was to think of your way, your preference, your lifestyle, and your needs above God's bigger plan. You needed God's grace. A few years ago, I was working on a documentary that took me to Kathmandu, Nepal, and it was absolutely fascinating. You're in the Himalayas, literally on top of the world. I was able to see Everest with my own eyes. God's handiwork, his majesty, the enormity of him was on full display in this country. Um, And while I was there, I actually had the good pleasure to meet several Nepali believers. And the church in Nepal is alive and well and growing. And this was such an encouragement to see this on the backside of the world where the church is thriving, especially in a land so consumed with such idolatry and ritual. Kathmandu itself is a sprawling city. And if you ever happen to find yourself there, you know, like you were just driving and you turn and you're in Nepal, if you ever happen to find yourself there, you need to go to the Pash Aten At Temple. It's a Hindu temple dedicated to the god Shiva. It's situated on the bank of their holy Bagmati River. This is one of the most sacred Hindu shrines in all of the world. Millions pilgrimage there, and only Hindus are permitted into the temple proper. I was allowed to stand on the eastern side of the river and observe. And this is what I observed. Everywhere there were idols. And I do mean everywhere. And they were adorned in many different ways. The Brahmin priests themselves would have specific rituals that they would carry out. All of this in an attempt to get a better life down the road. One of the rituals was to perform the cremations of individuals who have died, at least for those whose families could afford it. I'm going to spare you the pictures of that today. The bodies of the loved ones were wrapped up in traditional bright colored clothing. You could still see their face and their hands. The fire would be stoked and the cremation would commence. The grieving family would sit nearby. The priest would attend to the fire. As I was standing there, the wind shifted. The smell of death and smoke wafted over the river and rested on me. That particular day, there were actually several cremations taking place. While observing all of this, I heard a small explosion and it it concerned me and I started to look around. A Hindu man noticed my reaction and he patiently explained what I heard was the effects of heat, pressure, and time on the human body, specifically the skull. This was so unsettling. As I continued to observe, and when the cremation of an individual was complete, the ashes, or what couldn't be fully consumed by the fire, were pushed into the river, their holy river. In it, wading through it, were the poorest of the poor. They were sifting through the ashes, and they were feeling with their feet and with their hands for a piece of a gold bangle or bracelet or ring, something of worth to allow them to live a bit longer. The despair was overwhelming. Those images from that day will always accompany me in this life. I will never forget them. But in some ways, the Nepalis of Kathmandu 
have an advantage over us here in the States. Their idols are much more obvious, visible, definable, contrasted. When they bow down, everyone sees it. It is outward and obvious. Again, it is everywhere. For us, if we are to fully redeem 2020, we need to look back at our idols afresh and anew, those idols that are often hidden and concealed, the ones that we leave unnamed. Speaking for myself, 2020 tempted me to worship at a couple of my idols, and here is a short list for you. The idol of control, or my plan, my pursuit, my family, my opinion, my politics, my influence, my goals, my reputation, my effort, my things, my identity, my respect, my church, my job, my money, my future, my timing, my power, and my position in my kingdom. Perhaps you can relate to that. Isn't it amazing how quickly we can drop a knee and worship at the idols around us? When 2020 intersected with itself, with our idols, it revealed itself in unfortunate ways. It displayed where our hearts were to friends, families, and strangers. It also displayed our hearts to an unbelieving world. Allow me quickly to tell the tale of two friends whose idols were exposed during our contentious 2020 election cycle. Again, perhaps you can relate. First, these two guys are absolutely great guys. They have loved Jesus for a long time. The Holy Spirit has shaped them. Um, one man, I have always known him to be very gentle and encouraging. And he seemed to morph into someone very angry and dominated by all things political. One day, after a protracted conversation with him and in a desire to better understand him, I went to his Facebook page. Now, don't worry. I'm not a troll. I'm not going to go looking at your Facebook pages. Um, I don't read much Facebook. I post some things on there, but you're safe. But what I found were countless posts about all things in the culture, political things going on in the world. There was a link here, a post there, a, sarcast a sarcastic and derogatory meme there, which I guess we all have the right to express, I suppose. But what we don't have a right to do as believers is to make our opinions known to the universe, venting and giving full expression to our views, yet leaving the world devoid of the ultimate truth, the ultimate answer to the brokenness of this world. I told my friend, I searched all over Facebook, all over your Facebook posts for the one answer to all of this. And Jesus is nowhere to be found. Where is the answer to all of this brokenness? He listened to those words, and I don't know how beneficial they were. I really wrestled if I should say something or not, but I felt the Holy Spirit leading me to do it. It was difficult watching him that year go through so many different things and struggle. It was difficult to watch his personality being transformed influenced by the topic du jour. This man would ultimately leave our fellowship, and it grieved me. By contrast, yet another friend of mine in a ramp up to the election made a highly charged, and when I say highly, I really mean highly charged 
political statement to me about a certain group of people. His eyebrows furled, his jaw clenched, he was angry. I lovingly challenged him on it and said, hey, perhaps we need to unpack this over a lunch. A few days later, we did. What moved my heart so deeply that day was his quick and frank admission and confession that after a long and protracted conversation with his wife, she lovingly helped him see, I heard someone laughing out there, all right? She lovingly helped him see that he had become an angry person. He had misplaced his hope and he had allowed his joy to be robbed from him. He found, in effect, the voices of the evening news were trying to become his Messiah. He admitted his devotion had waned. I could have cried when he said it to me. The Holy Spirit had revealed this to him. He was raising his eyes, his eyes back up to the other, to the right kingdom of which we are called. He said he was going to try and limit his intake of news and think on other things. He even then astonishingly admitted, perhaps God doesn't want my, pol my politician in office because he might have a better plan, one that goes beyond our thinking. Perhaps. Two men who love Jesus, challenged by the idolatry of our age, my team, my thinking, my way. Again, we can fill in the blanks with our own struggles to be sure. Theirs just happen to be politics. And the idol of their politics threatened to overshadow the hope that they confessed. What did God teach us in 2020 about ourselves? If anything, it is our idols are everywhere and our own need for God's grace is every day, amen? We can join with the psalmist when he says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us because without his graciousness, without his face shining on us, we are among all people most miserable. And we will always find a reason to worship at the feet of something hollow and ultimately feckless if we do not guard our hearts. A quick question for you. What idol has been exposed in your heart this last year? Confess it. Remember it, but renounce it. To my second point, what did God teach us about his plan? Looking back at the beginning of Psalm 67, the psalmist says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on earth your saving power among all nations. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes the obvious has to be pointed out to me. Can anybody relate to that? If you're a man, I know that that would be true of you. In my relationship with my wife, every now and then she has to point out the obviousness of a hamper, not a hamster, a hamper where you're supposed to put your clothes in. Because for whatever reason, it should be obvious to me, but sometimes it is not. The psalmist points out the obvious about God in verse two. He is, he is at work making himself known, revealing his power to the nations. God will make himself known even when we do not realize he's doing it. 
Have you noticed that if you're honest with yourself, you can really see your own brokenness? And if we're honest too, it's really easy for us to see it in other people. Sometimes their brokenness will walk right up to us, identify itself, and interact with us. Such is the case that I had not too long ago. How many were here when we had the service on the lawn outside? Well, um, it, that was in November of last year. And when we were having the service, me as the pastor of communities, I also oversee, as Jeremy said earlier, guest services and campus safety. And on that Sunday, a member of the campus safety team radioed in and said, hey, we have a guy walking on a campus and he has a really big duffel bag. And it's worth observing, he kind of looks out of place, actually. And as I heard that call come over the radio, the man in question rounded the corner, and uh, I was not too far from him. I think Brett actually showed me that he was walking up. As I walked up to greet him, he asked, hey, is there somewhere I could store my bag? And I uh, said, sure, of course. And our conversation began. Now, he was passing through. He had tried to find a place earlier to worship, and he went up to one of the Mormon buildings around Elliott, and he walked up to it, and the doors were locked, and no one was there. So he continued down Elliott, and there were two joggers jogging past him, and he asked them, where should I go and worship today? And they directed him to Redemption Church. That's how he made his way to our place. As he was talking to me, I told him that I would like to hear the rest I would like to hear his story in full after the service when we had a bit more time. Neil had given him a gift card for some of his needs, and then I brought him over to the commons where Faith and the rest of the gang over there took care of his need for hunger. I left to attend other responsibilities, and as the service started, I noticed him sitting among the trees outside. He was sitting and listening to us sing and proclaim about our God in worship. As Tim started to deliver the message, I saw that this man was being moved, convicted by the Holy Spirit. And at the end, as, as we were wrapping up the service with music, he began to cry as he stood among the saints who were worshiping. Immediately after the closing song, I found him, but before I could even really get into conversation, he stated that God had been working on him during the service. He had multiple warrants out for his arrest. He said he felt convicted during the service to go into Phoenix the next day and turn himself in. With hot tears running down his face, he asked if I would appear with him in court the eventual day of his sentencing. Of course was the answer. What I love about this story is a couple of things. One, God is at work making himself known in the hearts of people all around us, and most of the time we have no idea what he's doing. He is making his way known on the earth, his saving power among all the nations. As this man wept, I could see the work of the Holy Spirit going on. It was beautiful. I actually found myself weeping too. And the second thing I love about this story is that when God invades the heart, the person invaded knows the need, knows what needs to be done to make things right. Turning himself in for his warrants, leaving the old and clinging to the new, 
These were the first of his steps for obedience. Looking back over 2020, can you see where the Holy Spirit was working to make himself known to others, to you? How events and tragedies were just a part of his masterful plan? Can you see it? Admittedly, it is difficult at times to see it, especially when we are wrapped up under the pressure of the life that we are living, especially when we are tempted to put our faith and trust back into either our hands or those of old idols of ours. But God is gracious, and he is working around us all the time. Allow me to quickly illustrate this again. During the summer, I went to Merchant Square. Is anyone else stricken with that profligacy of wanting to go antiquing from time to time? I'm looking for my people out here, all right? There, there are more here than there were in the first service. I love you people, you are great. Um, so during, during the summer, I decided to go to Merchant Square, uh, and that is the antique mall that I frequent. I dragged my seven-year-old son, Kiefer, with me. I'm sure he felt like it was a punishment more than anything else. But as we walked out the store, when we were done shopping, we noticed that there was a man up in the palm tree trimming the fronds, and Kiefer was amazed at how quickly this guy could go up and down a tree, and he was hanging out there precariously trimming stuff. And as the guy came down, I asked him, hey, um, how much did you charge to trim a, a tree? He said, how big is it? I told him about how big it was. He said, 60 bucks. Sounded like a deal to me. And we made plans, and he ended up arriving at my house later that evening. But when he arrived, he had another man with him. Now, this man was a much older man who was in what looked to be terrible shape. I directed them to the backyard, and the younger, healthy man went up the tree and started trimming the stuff. The other man, who began to look really, really bad to me, um, was just standing there, and, and I got a bit concerned. His arm was in a, had been in a sling, his nose was running, his hair was matted, and his eyes looked hollow. I asked him if he wanted to sit on my patio furniture and if I could get him a bottle of water, and he said that would be nice. I thought that was better than him dying in my backyard, um, and I asked him that. When I returned with the water, he asked me if I knew of a place where he could spend the night. Now, a bit of context, it's important to know, I worked for almost five years at the Nashville Rescue Mission, and uh, I have a comfortability speaking with people who maybe find themselves in this type of situation in life. So that is just a bit of context. So when he asked me if I knew a place where he could stay, my response to him is, well, why are you homeless? Is it alcohol or is it drugs? I was making an assumption. Felt like it was a decent assumption. He had a slight hesitation. Then he said it was alcohol, that he'd been kicked out of his Section 8 housing, and he told me about his life story. I told him, you know, we all make mistakes. He needed to get right with Jesus. He needed to stop drinking. He needed to get himself into church. Then he stated, you know, he was just in church this morning. I said, really? I said, where? He said, it was a church called Redemption in Mesa. I said, what? He then said, uh, yeah, Pastor Chris is there, and he talked to him about name, by name. I told him that I, too, was a pastor at Redemption Church in Gilbert. He started crying 
saying, no way, no way. I don't know what was going through his mind, but no way. Then he asked me, do you know Tim Mon and Tyler Johnson? <laughs> to this day, I still have no idea how he made that connection and how he knows them. But then he said, I love those guys. I was a little stupefied sitting there with this all happening. Then he murmured, shaking his head, I can't believe I'm sitting in the backyard of the pastor's house with tears running down his eyes. I have no idea what he means by that, if it was good or bad. But he was overwhelmed in that moment. I tried to speak to him words of encouragement. I felt compelled to give him financial assistance. I told him, don't drink it up. He, he assured me he wouldn't. He already knew the place that he was going to go get a room for the evening. And he said that he was supposed to start treatment the next morning at a rehab center. As he got up to take some of the palm fronds back to the truck in the front yard, the younger guy, who had been up in the tree trimming the entire time, came down and he apologized to me for the older man and his countenance. He said, when he was back at the antique store, after I had left, this old man had passed by and he felt compelled to give him $20 to help him that day if he wanted to. He said, my heart just goes out to those guys. I then encouraged him to always lean into the poor and that you can never go wrong doing that. I told him he was a blessing and then I felt compelled to pay much more than the $60 that we agreed to as an encouragement. I realized a couple of things that day. One, God is at work all over, moving in the lives of people, revealing himself and confirming faith. And secondly, our faithfulness can be compounded when applied to the faithfulness of others. It was the tree trimmer's faithfulness that opened up the opportunity for me to encourage and bless the hopeless, the homeless man. So let me ask you this question. In 2020, what did God teach you about his plan, his desires to make his way known on earth, his saving power to all nations? What did God do that you weren't expecting? Who did God intersect with you in your life? Who did God give you the opportunity to bless? These questions reveal some of the greatest things that we can take with us from 2020. God was and is and will be at work around us all the time. Lastly, what did God teach us about worship? Back to Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the people with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Several millennia ago, 
there were a people who were living in an extraordinary time. God, demonstrating his faithfulness to them, his followers, brought them through this difficult period. They had oppression, there was fear, their lives were filled with ambiguity, and they had no sense of control. Their culture was corrupt and corrosive. People in power did not live up to their word, and the temptation to be disillusioned and turned to their idols was everywhere. There were plagues being endured by the people, and death literally visited the houses around them. But God, being loving, was making a way of escape. He was revealing his character to them. Moses, in Exodus 14, said to the children of Israel, as they are fleeing Pharaoh, as they're waiting for the deliverance of God, Moses said, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. We know what happened next. God did what only God could do. He delivered his people. Then, in their state of deliverance, in the realization of how great God was, Moses led the children of Israel into worship to sing this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. I once heard an old man say, each morning when we open up our eyes, God is sitting on the edge of his throne. He says, talk to me today. Talk to me. My child, talk to me today. In 2020, God has been sitting on the edge of his throne, seeing all the chaos of our broken world, knowing all the depths of our deepest fears. And through it all, he has been so good, so kind. He has continued to give us provision. He has continued in his love for us. He has forgiven us when our wayward hearts would turn to the idols of our day. He has been patient and he has been long-suffering. So what has God taught us about worship in 2020? In short, that we need to worship him when we feel like it. We need to worship him when we don't feel like it. And we need to worship him until we feel like worshiping him again. Because he is always faithful. He is for us. His love never fails. And we get to worship him. He created us. He sustains us. He holds our future and our 2021 in his hands. Let's not waste our 2020. Let's pray. God, may you continue to be gracious to us and bless us and make your face to shine upon us that your way may be known upon earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all of the peoples praise you. Amen.